Come on, Jason, give him a round of applause. So for those of you who don't know, just over these last few mornings in um, the summer, we've been taking five minutes or so just to interview somebody in our church, somebody quite new or somebody maybe that we just don't often hear from, to allow many of you who have been coming to the church for a while to get to know people and uh, to understand the type of people that we have in our church. And so Jason, fine looking young lad that he is, is, uh, is, uh, <laughs> I know, is, is, here, is here with us this morning. And um, so Jason, um, maybe a number of people maybe don't know you or your family. So start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, your family, your expanding family and what you do. Is that okay? Yeah. So yeah, Jason Jackson, as you've heard, you might not have seen me about. Uh, Hannah and I have been coming here to Emmanuel for about a, a year. Um, Six-week-old Eli has joined us, a wow. uh, little baby boy, so we're blessed with him. And I'm not sure if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I think there's a photo up of the entire family there, a family of four, so Finn, the dog, was, <laughs> was involved in the photo. Um, so yeah, I'm ported down kind of all my life, schooled and, and housed in around here. So uh, 34 years I've been in this town, so uh, I guess that was one of the reasons why then we've, we've fallen here. Very good. What do you do? What do you do? What do you work at? Yeah, so I work for the electric board, NIE, and I've been there since I left school. And then Hannah, she's a radiographer in the hospital there in Craigavon. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think we need a meter reading, don't we, here, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we'll get that sorted at some point. We need your help. Um, so tell us, I mean, you've already mentioned it, but tell us a little bit more of maybe you know how you've found coming to church and what maybe drew you a little bit. Happy. Yeah, certainly. So... I guess it was, uh, we're, we're now married about three years, so we were, we were kind of looking for a, a church to call our own and, and to start attending with the family, and um, then lockdown and, and everything like that happened, so we were online services and, and what that brought, so then it, was, it wasn't until uh, the church moved into McGowan Buildings, and we weren't actually ever in the high street, um, premises so as soon as those doors opened um we were we were through the door and and uh, made very welcome and that was obviously a big part um to get to coming back is how welcoming and friendly everybody is but also then the teaching how how simple and how uh, it's put across that we can understand it and also that it is the truth and um is backed up with the word of God and and we were just encouraged yeah by the, the leadership team here and the and the services and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah we've we've been here ever since I guess brilliant lovely and then finally just tell us a little bit more are you happy to tell us a little bit more just about your own kind of journey with Jesus what that looks like and what it has looked like mm-hmm. I, I've kind of been blessed growing up in a Christian home um, from an early age I've been attending a lot of kids outreach things and services, Sunday schools and like that. So f- I guess from an early age, it's, it's, I've had a, a Christian walk or, or a, a relationship or a knowledge of God and who he is and, and what he's done for me. So there, I guess it's just been a, a slow, steady uh, tortoise, uh, not, <laughs> not really a hair race for me, um, which is a blessing. Um, I think... A lot of things like summer camps and um, like a Sunday schools, youth fellowships, mission trips, just as mm. as you've grown older, have, have really spoken to my life and, and encouraged me. Um, 
six weeks ago, I said, uh, Master Eli there came into our lives, so we weren't able to attend Nua Festival. I think that's something uh, we'll be excited for next year and encourage everyone to, to try and get along. It's it's things like that, and, and I just remember like CU camps in Donegal um, really allowing you to immerse yourself in in quiet times and in structured prayer times and mm. and uh, just even guys of your same age group and able to come together and share your stories and memories and you know all all those things have just been a constant reminder and a constant build up and that's sort of the words that um I would like to say God wants to build us up and send us out we don't want to get our head knowledge or we don't want to you know keep absorbing and, and, and then like a light with a lid on it, not, not a let it shine. So yeah. as we come here every Sunday and get refreshed and blessed, it's so that we can go out and, and show others God's blessing and the love that he has for us. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love that. Well, why, don't we, why don't we pray for, for Jason? Uh, let's start with praying for sleep um, and uh, grace and patience. And then um, and let's pray. It's been great to have him and Hannah and uh, Eli and the dog, um, and, uh, and many other new people here, um, and it's great to be using the summer just um, through these interviews, through our picnics, through just hanging out together organically and socially to build family and to build a relationship because we really do feel like that's not just good in itself, but it's good for what God is preparing us for, that, um, that we close ranks in the right sense of the word and, and build deep together. So let's pray. Let me pray for, for Jason. Can I do that? And, um, and Hannah, yeah, Holy Spirit, we just uh, we thank you that you, you're here, and we thank you for uh, your son, uh, Jason, and um, for, for thank you for for Hannah and for Eli for the safe delivery of Eli into the world. We thank you for his life, Lord, and we, <clears throat> Lord, we we open up our hearts, we welcome them into this family, along with many other newer people, Lord, and we we say, Lord, that. The, you know, family is what they would begin to feel. And Lord, we ask you to help us to grow as a family. And Lord, I just thank you for the the, the, the witness um, and the testimony that, that Jason has, has shared of just, you, you know, week by week, day by day, year by year, just, just growing in you and for the, the faithfulness of that, Lord, and the faithfulness of people who have helped shape and invest in him to become the person that he has become. But we do ask you, Lord, Holy Spirit, that in this next season, we pray for even more. Lord, we thank you for the deposit that's in his life and in his heart and in this family's life and, and hearts. We just pray that you would stir it up now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and uh, bring <clears throat> them into fresh seasons in you, deeper depths, higher heights. They walk further into your love, Jesus, and further into the destiny, God, that you have for them. And we just call that forth, Lord. We just call forth for the Jackson family, God. We just call forth God's uh, manifold wisdom and Lord, purposes and destiny for their lives, that they will become all that you have called them to be. We declare that they're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which you've prepared way beforehand. And Lord, we call them forth into that. And Lord, we look forward to watching that unfold in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Jason. Bless you. Okay. Thank you for that. <clears throat> have another interview uh, next week. 
let's um, invite Trevor to come. Come on ahead, Trevor. Um, there you go. Give Trevor a round of applause too, would you? Thank you. Trevor, um, this is Trevor Kane. If you don't know, Trevor's going to share with us this morning. Um, uh, it's great to have you, Trevor. I'm going to pray for Trevor quickly as well. Lots of prayer this morning. Um, but it's great to have Trevor share with us. Um, when the church started, there was a number of us that kind of journeyed, obviously, from Emmanuel Lurgan across and thought that God was calling us to do something. And then that was that was kind of merged with um, people from UBV and you know you know the story. And, and then just at the start, there were you know a handful of people that also kind of showed up that weren't part of neither of those, but became like very foundational to us and Trevor and Vivian were one of those uh, couples and people and it's been uh, amazing for us to have them as part of this church. And Trevor's led church um, before, he's been a pastor and still is but uh, he, um, one of the things I just really love about Trevor and I want to honour about Trevor is for all he's led and preached and he's never pushed himself forward once, he's cleaned toilets, welcomed people at doors, opened up and closed buildings, counted money at the back, done all the donkey work and I um, I just really want to honor that in him as he comes to share with us this morning. So let's share a hand out to Trevor. God, I just thank you for this man of God. Thank you for what you've done in his life and on his life. And Lord, we, we just uh, honor his servant heart and his pastoral shepherd heart. And Lord, we pray that you would just help him this morning to feel free, to flow from that place, to bring who he is under your anointing to this body this morning as he shares from the Psalms in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, Trevor. Well, uh, thank you for the introduction, Al, and the uh, the fact that I don't need to introduce myself. Al's done it for me. And it was interesting. I was amused to hear there, too. He mentioned opening up and closing up as one of the things that I do. And uh, just last week, I opened up for a couple of our good Lurgan brothers to, to come in and do some work. And Al mentioned that we need a meter reading. And I had got a a text message from Alan asking if I could read the meter and send the, the reading to Lenny. Well, that's now an, an impossibility because our Lurgan brothers have built a wall in front of the meter. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we now need them to come back and try and fix that. So uh, L Lenny will have to wait on his meter reading for a wee while. I, I don't quite know how they, they managed to, to build a wall without looking at what was behind it. But... Such as, such as what it is. So this morning, we're speaking on another psalm. And Alan asked me back on the, maybe only about four or five weeks ago, if I would do this. And uh, just to give you a bit of background, it's interesting that on the 12th of June, we had our first Sunday in this church, this, in this building, with our first gathering in here. And that afternoon, Lynn Ford posted something on social media. She posted a picture of this cross, and she put a wee post and a wee story about how in the midst of change, and the whole change on coming into this building, and having church here, and all the different changes that we've been through in different buildings, how the cross still remains. The cross stays central. The cross is, the, is what we gather around as our, our focal point. And in reading that post, it reminded me of a, a song by a guy called Ian White saying that the cross is still there. And Ian White's someone that was maybe quite prominent back in the 80s whenever I was first a Christian. I haven't listened to him in years, but the, the, the song reminded me of him and caused me to, 
go back on YouTube and rediscover him. And his ministry mainly focused on putting the Psalms to modern music. So I had made this rediscovery of his music, listening to the Psalms, and that then coincided just then with the uh, 14th of June. Alan sent me a message asking me to speak during the summer. And at that point, he didn't tell me what on until I agreed. And then he sent a text a few days later saying, if you were to do a psalm, what one would you do? So I didn't answer straight away. But uh, as we messaged when I read on down, it said at the end of it, and to quote him, just trying to make sure we don't all double up. <laughs> LOL. So there's 150 psalms. We have nine Sundays in the summer. According to Alan's wee list of a schedule, there's eight people speaking. What's the chances on us doubling up? Anybody good at maths and working out probability here? So here we are, three Sundays in, and I'm on Psalm 24 <laughs> that, uh, that Keith spoke on two weeks ago. So uh, as I thought about what I would do, Alan had put in his message about a, your, what might be your favorite psalm or the psalm that you feel led to speak on. And, you know, as he's described my background there, I'm someone that has, you know, if you speak maybe just once, you, you might speak on your favorite thing or testify what's familiar to you. But I've been used with, well, Lord, what do you want to say? Lord, what have, what have you got? What, what is it that you want me to communicate? And so I felt drawn to Psalm 24. And I was really quite confident that that's what I should speak on. But Alan cleared off on, hospi on, on, hol on, hospital, on holidays. <laughs> Alan cleared off on holidays, and I didn't get to tell him that's the one I want to speak on, so my name wasn't put down against it, and then Keith subsequently spoke on the same one. And whenever he stood up a couple of weeks back and he, he introduced Psalm 24, I thought, oh dear, or, or something to that effect. <laughs> but here I am today. And that's what I'm going to speak on. I'm going to stay true to what I, I believed was right and what God has given me. And uh, you'll be relieved to know that it's not, the, it's not the same as what Keith shared. If you know me at all, Alan didn't say this, but if you know me at all, you know I'm into sheep, of all things. Um, spent many years being a pastor, stroke shepherd, and in recent years I've got into sheep. Came back home, got a small flock of sheep and uh, breed sheep, pedigree Jacobs. Um, again, was drawn to them because they're the Bible sheep. Jacob from Scripture. And he bred black and white sheep. So that's what I have is Jacob sheep. And if you know that about me, you might have assumed, or if you, know, if you knew that I was speaking today, you might have assumed, oh, Trevor, he's into sheep. He'll, he'll speak on the 23rd Psalm. That's the obvious one. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's quite a common psalm, a familiar psalm, and you, you, know, you would maybe be tempted to avoid the common and the familiar. But it's interesting that someone has said that the 23rd psalm is probably the most loved psalm in all of Scripture, but it's the least believed. The most loved, but the least believed. And I want to suggest this morning that it becomes perhaps more believable and more livable when it's understood in the context 
of its framing by Psalms 22 and Psalm 24. Because together they comprise what are called the shepherd psalms. Why is that? You know, if you read them, you might think, well, there's not a whole lot there about shepherding other than the Lord is my shepherd. But in John chapter 10, Jesus is described as the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, he's described as the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter 5, he's referred to as the chief shepherd. So the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Shepherd Psalms, Psalms 20, Psalm 22, is all about the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. Psalm 23, the great shepherd in his resurrection life, living his life, guiding his sheep. And 1 Peter chapter 5, where he's referred to as the chief shepherd, then reflects on Psalm 24, where he's the chief shepherd coming again in power and in glory to bring everlasting blessing. So why can the Lord lead me through the 23rd Psalm, take me beside still waters, take me through the valley of the shadow of death? Why does he prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? How is he able to do all of these things? Because he gave his life for me, because he lives his resurrection life for me, and because he's coming back for me. So I want us to look to the future this morning, to look to the fact that Jesus is coming in power and in glory. He's coming to bless and to restore, to build up, to heal, to make all things right. The cross, the cross that Lynn referred to that she posted her picture of, I kind of wanted to lift it and set it and bring it out here this morning, but Johnny's it all tied up in leads. And if it blew the trip, we can't do anything about it. We'll, we'll be here in silence and darkness. But the cross is Psalm 22. This here and now, us in our lives today, and in all that we face and in all that we go through, and in everything that happens to us and around us and about us, is Psalm 23. And Psalm 24, the best is yet to come. So Psalm 24. Psalm 24, a Psalm of David. Referring to the King of Glory, as it's entitled. David wrote it when he was thinking on the ark, making its return journey into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant, which was central to their worship in the tabernacle, which resided in the Holy of Holies, which was the place there between the two cherubim above the mercy seat is where they met with God. So this ark signified the very presence of God in their midst. They'd gone through battles, they'd gone through trials, they'd gone through troubles. The ark had been captured by the Philistines, taken into captivity in a foreign country. The people of God had lived without God's presence amongst them. They'd, the Philistines were afflicted with troubles and trials they felt because of the ark, so they returned it after seven months. But the ark wasn't immediately returned to Jerusalem. It had to be turned aside and resided in different places until it made its final voyage back into the city. And so David wrote this hymn to celebrate the return of the ark, to rejoice in the coming of God back into the city, back into its rightful place, back to where it should be. And then as history continued, 
And as the people of God continued in their journey with him, this psalm became one that was sung in early Hebrew worship on the first day of the week. It was sung to celebrate and to rejoice and remember the coming of the King of Glory into the city. So, so traditionally they sang it on the first day of the week. And then we also think on Jesus, the King of Glory, coming on the first day of the week on Palm Sunday, making his journey into Jerusalem. And those of the Jewish faith, those who were faithful to all of the tradition of the temple at that time, would have been singing this psalm. This psalm that reads, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Maybe if you want to put the words up, Rose. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Can you picture the scene? The triumphal carrying of that, that Ark of the Covenant ceremoniously carried into the city with great rejoicing that it had been restored. And David pens these words. Picture the scene of he who we know to be the king of glory, entering that city in a way that people didn't really understand. Back in David's day, great pomp, great circumstance, a lot of festivity. It's like when you watch something of the, the, the royalty on TV, the tripping of the color, the changing of the guard, those things, great splendor, is what happened in David's day. Think on Jesus' day, this king came on a donkey. People threw down some coats, some palm leaves. The, they rejoiced, but they thought maybe they had some inkling that he was someone important. They had lots of different ideas about him. They assumed maybe he was going to liberate Jerusalem at that time from Roman control. Maybe he was some sort of a, a hero figure that was going to come and make a difference to their situation of that day. So the herald that is coming, but within a week, it hadn't panned out the way they thought he would. It hadn't just worked out as they expected or as they imagined. And the cried out, crucify him. He's not what we thought. But as he made that entry into Jerusalem, the folks in the temple, this is the hymn that they sang. And yet they had no real concept of that. They had no concept that even though the ark again by that time had long gone from their presence, they still carried through with all of the charade. 
They still celebrated everything as if the ark was still there. But it was long gone. Hasn't been found, seen, or heard tell of since. Why? Because Jesus became the bearer of the presence of God. And they no longer needed this special box. But the religious and the righteous and the, those faithful to the Jewish traditions, they couldn't get this. They thought, no, we still look back to the past. And they're so busy looking back ways that they couldn't see what was happening in their presence right now. But how does that relate to us? That's what the psalm meant when David wrote it. That's how you can see perhaps some degree of, of, uh, of prophecy and of, of it being a messianic psalm in light of what happened in the coming of Jesus in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But how is it seen in the light of what I was describing earlier in the coming of the chief shepherd? We look at the words, and the psalm begins with the, the statement that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Verse 2, he has founded it upon the seas and he's established it upon the rivers. In that claim, the Lord's claim, there in those first couple of verses, jumps out at me, what cries out to me is sovereignty. Sovereignty. The earth is the Lord's. The sovereignty of God. And perhaps that's the testimony bit of what I'm sharing this morning, that that's what sustains me through life. That's what I stand on. That's what I hold to, is the sovereignty of God, that no matter what, God knows no matter what, God is in control. No matter what, God understands. The simplest definition of sovereignty, of the sovereignty of God, is that He is God. What is the sovereignty of God? He is God. And as Vivian, any of you know her, has said, she has said many times, He's God and I'm not. And when things don't work out, the way we think, very quickly we think that God doesn't know what he's doing. And in that we make ourselves almost like God's because we assume we know better than he does. And we become just like those religious people in Jerusalem in that day of the triumphal entry who just didn't get it, didn't understand, and so they entirely missed the point. We need to realize that he knows all things, that he is all in all, that, he, that Jesus is Lord, that he's not a Lord, but he's Lord of all. He's Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. The Gospel Coalition, and this is the only quote I have today, and I didn't put it up on the screen for you, but the Gospel Coalition they have defined the sovereignty of God as the fact that he is the Lord over creation. And as sovereign, he exercises his rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as king. 
his control over all things, and his presence with his covenantal people and throughout his creation. Do you know, it, whenever you stop getting tangled up and twisted up in how things might be, could be, should be, could have been, all of that, and just surrender to the fact that he's God and he's in control, it lifts a great burden in life. And it helps me to live in the light of Psalm 23, that he is my shepherd, that he does walk with me, that he does guide me, that even though I don't understand it, don't get it, can't make sense of it at times, it's not about what I think, but it's all about what he thinks. It's all about what he's doing. And that's exactly how it is even within our outlook of this church, that it's not about us. You know, seats and curtains and carpets and all of these, yes, they're nice and they might make it a wee bit more comfortable for us, but that's not what we're here for. We're here for him. We're here for his kingdom. And as Alan said earlier this morning, where he is, there's his kingdom. So I see the sovereignty of God in all of this, the kingship of Jesus, that he is the king of glory. And that then brings us to the Lord's call in the next few verses. So there's the Lord's claim and then the Lord's call. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Whenever you read that, or whenever I read it out to you, or whenever you think that, who, who? It's asking a question almost. Who shall ascend? Who shall stand in this holy place? Who's quick to put up their hand or stand up and say, me? Me, I'll be the one. I'll, I'll stand. I'll be the one that, that ascends that hill. Is there any volunteers, anybody that thinks, yes, me, I'm the one? No, we're not so quick because it, it very quickly in the next verse comes into he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully. And we'll hang our heads. And we'll think, I'm not good enough. Am I right? Is there one of us here today that thinks I'm good enough? Yes, I'll be quick to volunteer. No, because we'll be shot down by everyone else around us thinking, look at their ego. Look at big head over there. Who do they think they are? Because the rest of us wouldn't feel that confident to say that we're good enough to be in that place. And so we carry away from that condemnation. We think, I'm not good enough. I could never be good enough. This is what God's calling of me. This is what God requires of me. And here I am, I'm rubbish. I get it wrong all the time. I trip up, I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing, I think the wrong thoughts. It, it couldn't be me. So we discount ourselves and dismiss ourselves from that call of God. But let me suggest this morning that it's not so much about us, but about Jesus. Who shall ascend that hill? Jesus. Who shall stand in that holy place? Jesus. Who, didn't, who never lifted up his soul to what was false? Jesus. Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Jesus. He's the one that went before. And he's the one that brings us after. And allows us to walk in his footsteps, to come after him because he has prepared the way and made it possible for us. I wonder this morning, 
How many of you, in approaching the building here, how many of you came down the hill? Or did you all come up the hill, up the car park? Whether you walked or drove or came by bicycle or camel or however you got here. Did anyone at all come down the hill? Victor did a couple. Sandra. I made a point of coming down the hill this morning because it, when you drive here, you naturally drive to the car park. And so from Meadow Lane there, you, you come up the hill at whatever level you park. And if you park further down the car park, you might still have some climbing to do. It's not a big hill, it's not difficult, it doesn't take your breath. But it's still climbing that hill. But I made the point this morning, just when I was thinking, driving in the road of parking in Edward Street and coming down. And as I did that, the thought that came to me was that Jesus came down that he might bring us up. That he made it possible that we might be lifted. That it's not about us in our own abilities, or our own giftings, or who we naturally are, but it's about what he makes us to be. Verse 4 puts it about clean hands. That's outward actions. Pure heart, that's what's inward. We all know that we are what we are and we do what we do. And we do what we do because of what we are. There's no escaping it. He does not lift up his soul to what is false. Or in, an, in another way of putting it, who does not live for a counterfeit world. And who does not swear deceitfully. Or in another way, whose word is their bond. God asks us to be people of our bond, people of our word, people who live for his kingdom, for the world that is right and true and good, to not live for this world because it's passing away. It's only for a season. And to have to always be an examination of our outward actions, but more importantly, the inward heart that drives those actions and yet to always examine them in the light of him. I always think when we come to communion, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us to examine ourselves. But to examine ourselves in the light of what? In the light of ourselves. In the light of our own understanding of morality, in the light of our own thoughts about ourselves and our own ideas about goodness, know us to examine ourselves in the light of what he has done, what he has achieved. So he gives us clean hands, pure hearts. He protects our souls, to what is false. And he aids us to not swear deceitfully. Verse 5 and 6 says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Selah is a funny word. We're not sure what it means. The best of scholars still argue about it because there is no direct interpretation from the Hebrew. It has been suggested that with the Psalms or hymns that Silah is perhaps a, a musical interlude. 
That sounds very posh to me. That's people that are into classical music. I'm not much into just music for music's sake. I like there to be a few words along with it. It's also been suggested that it means pause and reflect. That sounds a bit arty for me. All that pausing and reflecting, and I close my eyes and I'm not quite sure what I'm meant to be reflecting on. Or, but a more Northern Ireland way of putting it is to say, there, what do you think of that? So you read these great words, and then there's that question put to you, there you are, what do you think of that? We'll say that to each other in everyday language. We'll tell something, tell our friends something that has excited us or something that we deem to be important. And then we, we prompt that response from them. There, what do you think of that? So think of it that way. Receiving blessing from the Lord, righteousness from, uh, righteousness from the God of our salvation such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. There you are. What do you think of that? Blessing and righteousness. And then we'll come to this strange bit that in the psalm, where the psalm has been referred to, as I described earlier, regarding the coming of the chief shepherd. At the end of all things, the coming of the Lord of glory in the clouds. But some people see it in the light of ascension. And in these last few verses, I see both. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. What I picture there is that this Jesus who came in that triumphal entry while this psalm was being sung, who lived his last days in the city of Jerusalem, who made his way under great duress, under great torture, having been cruelly beaten and wounded, being forced to carry his cross, he ascended that hill, and there he was crucified. And in the final moments of that crucifixion, as he gave up his soul and his spirit to God, he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. The work is done. And he closed his eyes and he rendered up his spirit to the Father. We know that he descended into hell where he took back the keys of death and of hell and of the grave. We know that he, he rose from the dead on the third day, and that for 40 days he lived amongst his disciples, encouraging them to go on in the work. And the church was born on Pentecost, and the Spirit came, and Jesus ascended into glory. And what I picture and what I see, that there, this man, this God, this God-man, Jesus, this one who came down, that he might be able to bring us up. That this Jesus, he arrived at the gates of heaven, the first man in all of the history of history. To stand at the gates of heaven and to cry out, lift up your heads, O gates. 
and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And that then we hear about Peter at the gate, or the watcher at the gate, whoever that watcher it might be, that guardian of the gates of glory, he cries out, who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? What gives you the right of access? And there Jesus declares, the Lord, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Why? Because he was the victor over the grave. He was the victorious one. He had conquered death and hell. There he was having triumphed in battle. There he is, the one who knew that it was finished, that the work that he had been sent to do had been accomplished. And so the gate was swung open, and he strode into heaven and marched through those streets and sat down at the right hand of the Father where he lives his resurrection life for us today in Psalm 23 as our great shepherd. But then can I suggest that between verses 8 and 9 here, there's a difference. Because it's almost repeated. But there's a different answer. In verse 8, the answer to who is this king of glory is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. In verse 10, who is this king of glory? And the answer is different. It's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So in those first two verses, 7 and 8, I believe we'll have the ascension. And then after verse 8 and before verse 9, I believe we have all of the church age. That was Jesus in glory, but there comes a day when the Father says to him, Okay, son, go and bring them all home. And we know that Jesus comes in the air in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he comes to bring home even the dead in Christ will rise first. We know then that those who are alive and still remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. We don't quite understand this. It has been said that it's the most preposterous thing in all of Scripture. The most ridiculous suggestion I've heard it described as, and yet we know today that it is absolutely true. Jesus is coming again. The second coming of Jesus. So God sends him back to bring all of heaven home. And when he arrives back up at the gate, he cries out again, Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Again, the question is asked, Who is this King of glory? And he replies, The Lord of hosts. And here is the host of all of heaven with me. He is the King of glory. Selah. What do you think of that? And I'm almost finished. Alan asked me for a prophetic thread. And as we message anything that we think that the, God, that the Lord might be saying to us as a church in particular. I believe this morning the cross is before us. The world is behind us. There's no turning back. We live in him, and we live for him. We live into the future. We live into eternity. But for us as a church, verses 3, 5, and 6, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? 
We've ascended this morning. We've come up this hill to this building to be church. But you know something? There's higher yet to go. We're going up there. And the Lord is the one who makes it possible. The Lord is the one who calls us onward in that journey with him. Why? Because he wants us to receive his blessing. Verse 5. He wants us to know the righteousness of his salvation. He wants us to be the generation of those who seek him. And that's something that I love about this church. Something that even Jason alluded to this morning in his interview there. Where we seek the Lord. We give time to that. We want to know him and to know him more. But that's not easy. Those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Jacob said, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. In Genesis 32. If you go back and read the whole story, it's when, Je it's when Jacob wrestled with God. It's when God wounded him. And he was left with a limp. It was a struggle. It wasn't easy. But he saw the face of God in, in his seeking. He saw that face. But there was a struggle. Do you know something? We're all struggling. Life is a struggle in different ways. But don't give up. Don't give up. Press on because he's in control. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the one who wants to look you in the face and let you know that you're loved, that you're accepted, that you're forgiven, that you're blessed, that you're righteous, that all of the blessing and glory and honor of heaven is given to you because of what his son has achieved, what Jesus has done. And as it's put to us in 1 Peter, when he's referred to as the chief shepherd, we're given a crown of unfading righteousness. So this morning, I'm finished. I'm going to ask Rose just to play this song, sung by Keith Green. And the, the ministry team are here. If something in what I've said has resonated with you this morning, that you would like prayer, please respond during this song. Come forward and let the team pray for you. Selah.